are going to go to the book of James. Uh, we're going to continue with our series, Developing a Mature Faith. And today we're going to read from verses 19 through 27. And directly following the reading of God's word, I'm going to ask Lady Amber to come up and she's going to sing a song for us and uh, just thank God for a son who is the, the light of the world. Amen. If you could stand to your feet to James chapter 1, verse 19 through 26. When you get there, say, got it. If you're not there, say, wait. Amen. We will wait for you. James, the half-brother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes these words. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is right, religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Today we want to preach and teach from the subject, How Sincere Religion Looks. How sincere religion looks. You may be seated. I'm going to ask Lady Amber to come and to continue to lead us and worship. The choir did such a magnificent God in letting God use them, and we want to keep that atmosphere. I thank them for that. How sincere religion looks.
So here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely. All together worthy, all together wonderful to me. King of all days, oh so highly exalted, glorious in heaven above. And humbly you came to the earth you created, and all for love's sake became poor. And he Here I am. 
them lovely all together worthy all together Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship, to bow down and say, uh, here we are. And I pray, Father God, that through today's text that you would allow our eyes to be illuminated, that you allow us to see, Lord, exactly what James intended for his audience, and help me, Father God, to apply it to today. Father, I recognize that I uh, do not deserve this opportunity to proclaim your word. Uh, in my own self, but I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and for your grace. I pray, Father God, that as I proclaim this truth, Lord, that you will be honored uh, at, the, uh, at the preaching of it, Father. I pray for the hearers, that you would bless their ears, allow their hearts to receive this word in order that it would change our lives, Lord. Help me uh, not to fall into the temptation to preach to impress, but to preach to express, to express the wonderful riches of your glory. Use me, Father God. For your name's sake and for your glory. In Jesus' name, we sincerely pray. Amen. Amen. In your bulletins, you will see that we have a worksheet each week. You can uh, pretty much expect to see that so that you can follow along. Uh, both sides of your worksheet has something on there. The first thing that we will be going through is on the first side, and you'll see the title of the series, which is Developing a Mature Faith. And the title of the sermon is How... A sincere, a sincere religion looks, how a sincere religion looks. We see here that James is continuing on in his letter to help his listeners uh, to develop a mature faith, a mature faith. And James has just told his audience how they can pass the test of life, which means how they should respond to trials and tribulations in their lives. And now James proceeds to talk about uh, the type of religion that some of the professing Christians have. Now here James is telling us that when he's speaking of religion, he is speaking of an outward show or an outward devotion to God. He's speaking of religion here if you look at verses 26 and verse 27. And he basically tells us that there are two uh, types of devotions to God. And he says in verse 26 that there is a devotion pretty much that deceives the heart. Uh, and he calls it a, a worthless religion. So there is a worthless re religion, he says. And then in verse 27, he mentions a religion that is pure and undefiled. And that is a sincere religion. So there are two types of devotions to God. There is a worthless devotion to God or a worthless religion. And there is a sincere devotion to God. A sincere religion. 
And what I'm about to say to you is what I call a tough truth. A tough truth. Uh, sadly so, there are many professing Christians, not only in America, but throughout the world. And I truly believe, I truly believe that many of the people who profess to be Christians, that they are practicing a worthless religion or, a, or they have a worthless devotion to God. Not saying that Christianity is worthless, but their pursuit, their devotion to God in many ways in the sight of God, it is worthless. It's not sincere. It's lacking sincerity. And you may say, why? Well, I believe that Jesus gave us a great answer in the Gospels when he was quoting Isaiah. And he said, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. These people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's a tough truth. Sadly so, that many Christians, professing Christians, in the sight of God, their devotion to him is worthless. It's a tough truth, but I believe that it is the truth. Today, there are far too many people entangled in a worthless religion. There are far too many people who are constantly going through religious practices. They have a form of godliness, Paul says, but they deny his power. A worthless religion, it values style over substance. It values formalism. It is more about appearance and apparel, apparel than it is about yearning for his approval, speaking of God, and his righteousness. It's based more on tradition than it is on seeking transformation. So the question is, is how do we possess? How do we possess a sincere religion? How, does we, how do we possess a sincere devotion to God? And I believe James in this text is helping us to see what a sincere religion or a sincere devotion to God looks like. And clearly through verses 19 through 26, he shows us that a sincere devotion to God is based on a sincere commitment to God's word. A sincere devotion to God is based upon a sincere commitment to God's word. A sincere commitment to God's word has two things. There's two keys to have a sincere commitment to, the, to God. The first key is this, and that's what we're going to talk about right now. It is to receive God's word. In order to have a sincere religion, in order to have a sincere devotion to God, we must receive God's word. We must receive God's word. And the second thing that we must do is we must live God's word. Now, if we look at verse 21, we see that James says this. We're going to look at the B clause, which is the second, so the second clause. It says this, receive with meekness the implanted word. Receive with meekness the implanted word. If we are going to have a sincere devotion to God, 
If our religion is going to be pleasing to God and if it's not going to be worthless, we must receive God's word. Now, immediately when I said that, there is a great temptation for Christians to, to, to want to stop listening or to say to themselves, we've already heard the sermon. We hear this every day or we hear it every Sunday. We need to receive God's word. And many Western Christians, we, we will take this text for granted and we will take a sermon of this proportion to granted simply because I believe that we actually uh, are bombarded with the Bible in such a casual way to when we hear about the importance of the Bible, a lot of times we downplay it. We are bombarded with the Bible. In fact, we live in what's called the Bible Belt of the world, this, this, this region that we live in. Uh, we can go to your average grocery store, and within somewhere in a grocery store, you will find a quote or something about the Bible, or you can find a Bible. You can go to a hotel room. There's a Bible there. We can turn on the television. We can hear preachers misquoting the Bible. We can... Uh, we, we come to Sunday school and we hear the Bible being taught. We come to Wednesday a Bible study. We hear the Bible being preached. We, we hear comedians referring to the Bible. And, and, and we, we do. We get a lot of the Bible. And most of us say, well, I receive the Bible. I, I hear the Bible preached twice a week or once a week. Or, or I read my Bible once a week. And so I already have this. But the truth of the matter is that James here, he is talking, not just talking about hearing the Bible. But here he's talking about really receiving the Bible, allowing the Bible to impact our lives. A sincere religion is a religion that allows us to feel and to experience true transformation. We hear people quote the Bible all the time who have never experienced the transforming power of the word of God, of the word of God. In order to receive the word of God, there's two things that we have to receive the word of God with. The first thing that we must receive the word of God with is with purity. With purity. We must receive the word of God with purity. Look at the text. Verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And receive with meekness the implanted word. James says that if we are going to have a sincere religion, a religion that is pleasing to God, that we must receive his word with purity. We see that word in the ESV. It says rampant wickedness, which literally means in Greek, unchecked wickedness. What is James saying? James is saying that if a professing Christian is going to have a religion that's pleasing to God, that he must receive the word of God with purity. He's saying that when we sit down to read the word of God, when we sit down and we hear the word of God preached, that our hearts need to be in a state that is pursuing purity. He says here, put away rampant wickedness and filthiness. Now, if we look back in a couple verses, we will see that James has told us what sin produces. That's what James is saying. is when we sit down to read God's word, to hear from God, we must sit down with a heart that is pure, a heart that is not full of habitual sin. 
Okay, And he tells us a couple verses before what this sin leads to, what rampant wickedness and filthiness leads. So look at verse 14 in chapter 1. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, it brings forth death. James told us a couple verses before that rampant wickedness, that filthiness, that sin, it leads us to death. Many people read the word of God and they say, the word of God, I, I just don't, it doesn't give me, I don't have a desire to read it. I don't have a desire to study it or I can't understand it. And a lot of the reason why Professing Christians don't have joy about the word of God. Maybe simply because we are approaching the word of God with the wrong heart. The Bible says that in order to receive God's word, our heart must be pursuing purity. We are not going to receive God's word, James is saying, if we have already determined in our life that a sin that we have in our life is going to remain. We will not receive a rhema word. Huh? We will not receive a true blessing from God's word if we have made up in our hearts and our minds that we have areas of our life that God cannot be Lord over. James is saying that, that God is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what he said in the first verse, first two verses. Jesus Christ is Lord. To be Lord means to be in complete control. So if we want to have a sincere religion and understand what God is saying, we must approach the word of God with a sincere pursuit of righteousness of God. A sincere pursuit. Of a sincere pursuit. Some people, we come to church and we're in this religious mode. Sick of religion. That leads us to a place of formalism and rituals. We come to church Sunday after Sunday, and we do the same thing. A lot of times we're more concerned about our outward appearance than our inward appearance. And we come because we think this is, this is the right thing to do. And that if we just come, then we can have our conscience clear for the next two or three weeks, and God is pleased. James tells us that we must put away all filthiness, all sin. Sin is deceptive, he says. He says when our desire gives birth, it leads to sin. And sin, when it's fully consumed, when it fully comes forth, he gives us a picture of a, a, a pregnant woman giving birth. When it is full, when it is grown, it leads forth to death. Sin is deceiving. It, 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 it slowly takes us into a place that we don't want to go and it keeps us, I heard somebody say this morning, longer than we want to stay. And some of us in here, we have made up in our mind that there are certain areas of our life that we are not going to give to God. And then we want to come and we say, well, God, I need a word from you. I need a word from you. The preacher better say something. And the preacher hasn't preached unless they feel a, a, a need to shout. God 
wants to be the Lord of your life. He's called, if you are a Christian, he's called to be the Lord of your life. But we block areas off. Say, no, this is for me. And we walk out and we continue to do what pleases us rather than what pleases God. It's like a frog. Throw a frog into boiling water, he's going to scream and he's going to die. The old adage says, but if you set a frog in water and you turn the heat up to boiling, he won't budge and he will slowly go to his death. He can't see the temperature change. It's the same way with sin in our lives. If we continue to waddle in filthiness and rampant wickedness, then we're like that frog. We're being slowly put to our death, slowly led to separate, eternal separation from God. James says, you can't hear from God. We can't experience the presence of God if we have made up in our hearts that we're not going to pursue purity with God. All my parents here who, have parent, who are parents of children from 10 to 18, I want you to stand. I want you to close your eyes. I'm going to paint a picture for you. I want you to tell me how, how it makes you feel. How would you feel if this were to occur? You're coming home from work or from a long day out. You open your, your house door or your apartment door. You put your bags down and you go to the kitchen for a drink of water. You call your child's name. And you say, where are you? And they muffle a voice, they muffle an answer that you really can't, exp can't hear. So you walk closer to their room. You put your hand out to grab the doorknob and twist it. And when you do that, you, you realize that the door is locked. So you call your child by name and you say, why is this door locked? And you look down and you notice not only is the door locked, but it's a completely different doorknob. While you were gone, they locked you out of their bedroom. And they said, I don't want you in here anymore. I want my privacy. Open your eyes. How would that make you feel? Would that make you irate? Would that make you angry if your 10 or 18 year old child locked you out of your own, a room in your house? You may be seated. And the reason that that would make you upset is because you pay and work hard to pay the mortgage or the rent of that place. You are the landlord of that house. When I was growing up, there was no such thing as privacy. My parents said, I pay for this house. Therefore, everything in this house is under my provision. Now, isn't it funny? that we can accept that truth. But many of us, we can't accept the truth that God paid a price for you. 
that he allowed his son to die for you. And that when you accepted him as your savior, you also accepted him as your Lord, which means that every area of your life belongs to him. Your bedroom belongs to him. Your language belongs to him. Your music belongs to him. We cannot lock God out of certain rooms in our home, our spiritual house, and expect God to bless us with understanding of his word. Let's move. James says, in order to properly receive the word of God, we have to put away filthiness and rampant wickedness. But then he goes on, he tells us the second key, he says, and receive with meekness the implanted word. Receive with meekness the implanted word. What does meekness mean? To be meek means to be gentle and it means to be humble. God is, is telling these people through James that if they want to receive a word from me, if they want to have a sincere religion, not only do they have to have purity, but be pursuing purity, but they also have to have the right heart. It has to be a heart of humility, a heart that is pliable and conducive to the word of God. See, James in the early church was facing some difficulty, and we see this throughout the epistles in the Bible, and part of the difficulty, difficulty was this. Their church, their service, when they came together and gathered together, it wasn't necessarily like this. It wasn't just a large amount of people all the time and, and one preacher preaching. A lot of times they were in homes and they were in houses and because it was illegal for them to gather together like that. So what would happen is the, the preacher or the speaker, the teacher would talk and after he talks, it would be more like Sunday school where people can comment and, and, and make a, a statement. Well, a lot of times what would happen, and we see that in James chapter 4, and we also see James paying attention to this in James chapter 3, a lot of times what were happening is people were arguing in the middle of the worship and they were showing off how much they knew and instead of listening to receive the word of God from the teacher or the preacher they were listening in order to think of an opportunity in which they could impress the, those who are around them and James is saying if you want to have a sincere religion you must have a heart of meekness a heart that wants to receive the word of God. Now look at the word that James used. He uses the term implanted word. Implanted. James is painting a picture of a, a seed sower. Planting a seed in fertile ground. He's saying if the ground is going to be fertile, if our hearts is going to be fertile, we must have a state of humility in our hearts. A state of gentleness. He's saying your heart must not be full of pride. And sometimes our religion is not sincere because when we come to the word of God or when we come to the place of worship, to worship God, our hearts are full of self-righteousness and pride. James said, receive the word of God with meekness. Jesus in Matthew chapter 13 verses 1 through 9 and also in Matthew chapters 13 through 18, he gives us what's called the parable of the sowers. And he gives a parable about a sower who takes the same seed and he, he spreads the seed 
on different types of ground. And even though it's one seed, he gets four different results. And three of the results are negative results because the ground in which he sowed the seed on was not conducive or was not fertile. But one of the seeds and, and one of the, the, the soil in which he sows that seed on was acceptive and, and receptive to that seed. And the Bible says that it produced fruit. Some 10, some 20, some 40, some 100 fold. And God is saying the same thing with us. If we are going to have a sincere religion, we must receive his word. We must allow our hearts to be meek and to be conducive to him. How does that look? I'm glad you asked. James, just before he has made these statements, has showed us what a meek heart looks like in verse 19. What does a meek heart look like? What does a, a humble heart look like? What looks like? What does a, a conducive heart look like? And he shows us, he says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. James gives us a picture of what a meek heart looks like. A meek heart is swift to hear. It's swift to hear. Can you imagine James trying to teach in one of these gatherings with believers? And he's noticing that as he's trying to preach the word of God, that instead of people looking intently to receive the word, they're trying to listen to what he is saying in order that they can have a rebuttal to what he has said. James is telling them that a person who has a sincere religion is a person whose heart wants to learn, whose heart is swift, is quick to hear. King David one day was on the battlefield. And while he was on the battlefield, he was struggling and he just said briefly or even thought it in his heart, said it so lowly that, that, that you would think that no one would be able to hear it. He said, man, I just wish I had a cup of water. And the Bible said that three of David's men of valor, that they rushed and they got him a cup of water. They put their lives in risk to get him some water while they were on the battlefield. Here, David barely said anything, but they were intensive to David's word and they moved swiftly. James is saying we have to be swift to hear. We have to be swift to hear God's word. We have to be swift to put ourselves in the way of God speaking. Swift to hear. Everybody raise your hands. Touch your ears. Touch your mouth. See that? Touch your ears. Touch your mouth. It's interesting that God gave us two ears and one mouth. And notice that our ears are free. Nothing's blocking them in. But our tongue is walled behind teeth. We should be twice as quick to listen as we are to speak. James said not only do we have to be swift to hear. Husbands, wives, I'm saving you an argument later. But you need to be slow to speak. Slow to speak. A lot of times when someone else is preaching or someone is, is talking, even in our own homes, instead of listening in order to understand that person, we are listening to rebuttal. Now, y'all know I'm telling the truth. Right? Little Nuke Nuke, you know, I really, 
don't understand why you did that. And Nuke Nuke is not listening about the apology or trying to understand what this person is saying. Nuke Nuke is thinking about what he's going to say, how he's going to respond and refute what this person is saying. And a lot of times we come to God with the same way. We go to his word the same way. We're not swift to hear. We're quick just to try to pick up a quick application in order that we can tell somebody else what it says. Or we'll come to church and we'll say, man, that sermon was a good sermon. I sure wish so-and-so was here. Wait till I get home and tell him what the pastor said without digesting the message ourselves. So be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. People in the house of God where they were gathering with James and, and the early churches, they were getting upset at other things that, that other Christians were saying. Oftentimes they were finding themselves in moments of confusion like Paul told the church at Corinth. Everybody can't speak at the same time. He says when one person is speaking, the rest need to be sitting and listening. And as a result of them having rushed hearts, a lot of times they offended each other, one-upped each other. James is saying that when we come to, to worship God, when we come to God's word, we must have a heart of purity. We must have a heart of meekness. We must be ready to learn, not willing or, or ready to just walk out and say, that was a good sermon, that was a good service. Not only do we have to receive the word of God or God's word, we also must live the word. We must live the word. Look at verse 22. James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word and not hearers. Now notice that James does not say go and do the word, but rather he says be doers of the word. James is saying that this is who we should become. We should become doers. We don't just randomly do God's word. We are doers of God's word. If we are going to have a sincere religion and not a worthless religion, not only do we have to receive God's word with purity and meekness, but we must seek to apply God's word and to live God's word. It's interesting when we look at the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, when Moses, when God speaks to Moses and Moses speaks to Israel, he always tells them to listen and to hear but he always says, in order that you may do. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1, Moses says, And now, O Israel, listen to the statues and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them. Why? He goes on to say, in order that you may live, and go and take the possession of the land of your Lord and your God. God does not just want us to come and to, to hear sermons. He doesn't just want us to come to church and to Sunday school so that we can debate and have conversation. He wants us to come to the house of God and apply what we are learning. To not just be a hearer, but to be a doer. To actually live the word of God. To be walking epistles. Walking epistles. And he says the person who just hears the word and who does not apply and live the word is a person who is just like that frog that we talked about. Is a person who is deceiving themselves. Must live God's word. 
Matthew chapter 7, verse 26, Jesus talks about the man who built his house on a rock and the man who built his house on sand. The man who built his house on sand after he was finishing his sermon, he said, was the man who heard his words, but who will not obey them. Listen, I'm just going to be real with you. There's a lot of people building their house on sand that comes to church that reads their Bibles very often. Knowledge without application is worthless. In fact, knowledge without application breeds pride. Hey, Pastor Mar, you coming kind of tough today. Where's the, the spinning and the... See, my fear is, is that as a culture, we have become so religious what I mean by religious, we do things so ritualistically, so habitually, so regularly that we forget that the reason why we do them is because we are in love. We don't do them just because it's the right things to do, but we do them because we serve a God who allowed his son to reconcile us to himself. We don't come in his building on Sundays for a fashion show. We don't come for a family reunion. We don't come to smile. We come in order that we can learn, in order that we can make a change in the world, in order that we can apply God's word to our life, in order that we can be used as vessels of God to bring people into salvation. We don't gather together every week or once a week or once a month, some of us, because it's the right thing to do, we gather together if we are Christians because it's the only thing to do. The only thing to do with our lives is to give it back to God because we realize that when we go, he who loses his life shall find it. And he who finds his life or who holds on to his life, at the end, we'll lose it. It's a gap. There's a gap in the lives of too many Christians. There's a gap in the lives of too many Christians. Too many of us come to church week after week, and when we leave the house of God and we walk through the doors of our home, we live as if what was done at church was separate from our day-to-day -day lives. At church, you don't curse. Great. But as soon as we step into our homes, we curse. And I'm just going to be real. If I see another Forest Baptist member on Facebook cursing, Are we saying that we are devoted to God? How are we saying that God, how are we lifting our hands and praising God one minute? And then when we live and go home, we, we disconnect it. And parents, what, you, what we're doing 
is we are really messing our kids up. Our kids are seeing us come into the house of God one way, lifting up hands, singing songs, acting meek and humble, and they're seeing a different life when they go home. We must live what we learn. We must apply it to our lives. If we are not, we are deceiving ourselves. And one day we will stand before the throne of God and be rejected because we never accepted him in the first place. A person who has accepted Jesus Christ has accepted him as Lord. They have had a transformation take place in their heart. Every area of their life is their desire to make it look more like Christ. The Bible says in Hebrews that the pastor who does not Preach faithfully word of God. And, 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 and Paul said this. We read this in Acts. Will be held accountable. The blood of his sheep. Will be on his hands on a day of judgment. And Forrest. I don't want my hands dirty on judgment day. We cannot come to the house of God like they did in Israel when Ezekiel was prophet. Turn with me to Ezekiel, chapter 33. We'll go here real quick. We're making a detour, but praise be to God. Ezekiel, chapter 33. Ezekiel 33, verses 30 through 32. Ezekiel is a prophet of God. Israel now is in exile. Okay? which means that they are out of the land that God had promised them as a result of their disobedience to God. Okay. And listen to what the word of God, what the Lord came to Ezekiel and said. Okay, As for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses say to one another, each to his brother, come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they're by their homes and they're gathered together and they're even telling other people, come and hear our preacher. We really like him. Verse 31. And they come to you as people come and they sit before you as my people and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths they act, their heart is set on their gain. And behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and who plays well on the instrument, for they hear what you say, but they will not do it. When this comes, and it will, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. God is saying that these people that I gave this land to, that I delivered out of Egypt, they are looking forward to hear you preach. But it's not because they want to apply it. 
It's because they want, because they are entertained. They are entertained. And many people spread throughout this country, gather together week after week because they are entertained or seeking entertainment. Seeking entertainment. The Bible says that we can't just be hearers of the word. We have to apply the word. We have to live the word. What is the word? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. First John 1 and 1. First John, uh, John 1 and 1. John 1 and 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the word. We must live according to what Christ said. And when we do, I'm telling you, we find life. We find life. We found, find true satisfaction because we realize that any and everything else other than Christ, it will fade away. It will get old. And it will not keep us. But Christ is all sustaining. And he will keep us. Don't be a hearer. Don't be the person who comes to hear a message, who opens up their Bible at home and who does not seek to apply the word to their lives. Don't be that person, James is saying. He says, for that person, the person who does that, look at verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he looks like. James says that the person who just hears the word of God, the person who comes to the house of God week after week and hears a sermon but who does not seek to apply the word of God to their lives is like a person who stares at themselves in a mirror and they're checking themselves out. And the moment that they leave the mirror, they forget what they saw. James is saying that's foolish. That's a waste of time. He says don't be that person. The word of God is a mirror. It shows us who we are. It's very encouraging. In fact, I don't know where I would be without God's word. And sometimes it hurts to see yourself in the mirror. It does. Last week, I was reading the word of God in my personal devotion time, and I was feeling good and great, and yeah, yeah, doing a good job this week. And the Lord showed me something in a verse and applied it to my heart. And I was like, Isaiah, Lord, woe is me. It's a mirror. But the good thing about a mirror is, is that it shows your reflection. And after you see how you look, you can make the change. You can make the change. And when you make the change and you strive to make the change, God revives you. He allows you to have joy and peace. Yeah, you say, wait, Lord, show me something else. Don't just fix my hair. <laughs> Get the crust out of my eyes. But maybe some of us are like Queen Elizabeth. Many years ago, Queen Elizabeth noticed that she was aging. And the story is told that she went throughout Buckingham Palace and had her servants remove every mirror in her palace 
because she did not want to see herself age. Maybe that's how some of us are. We don't look in the word of God because we know that we're not living according to it. And I just want to encourage you, it's better that you look now and face it and throw yourself to the mercy of Christ and say, help me. Then for one day you to walk by that mirror on judgment day and see how you looked. Don't be a hearer. Don't be a hearer. Don't hear a sermon about love and then two days later you're cursing out your fellow brother or your husband. Don't be just a hearer. Be a doer. Don't, don't come to the church on Sunday and be in the club Sunday night. Don't be a hearer. We, huh? How can we praise the God of heaven and say holy, holy, holy and then hours later intentionally plan I mean, I'm not talking, I mean, we sin on Sundays. Everybody sin on Sundays. While we're here, we're sinning in some way probably because we, we're not perfect, but, but intentionally. And then say that our Christianity is sincere. How can we hear sermons on faith? And as soon as we leave, we say, Lord, I don't think I can make it. Look what James says. He says, for he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what he looks like. Verse 26, but the one who looks into the perfect law. Now the word look in, in Greek means to investigate deeply. The one who investigates the word of the Lord, the perfect law, the law of li liberty, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James says we must look, we must investigate the word of God. We must not just read it and leave. We must not just hear a sermon and leave, but we must investigate it. We must study it. We must see, Lord, how does this apply to my life? And that's why, one of the reasons why we now have these worksheets in front of you. Okay? It's because I think too, too often we hear a sermon. They say 95% of what we hear in a message that was studied by the Air Force within hours is lost, okay? So we need to write things down. We need to jot them down in order that we can go back later and read and study it and pray through it. On the back of your worksheets, if you'll flip it over, you'll see that I put just Two kind of methods for just daily reading when you read the word of God. Some things that you can be asking yourself as you go through the text. Because so often we rush and we go to the text and we don't ask ourselves questions or we don't really think about it. It's just, hey, let me hurry up and read my verse or, or my thought for the day. Same says, don't look and leave and forget, but look. Investigate. Investigate. Having a hard time studying the word of God or, or hearing from God or understanding. Look at some of these things. Ask yourself these questions. But also know that that's, that's what a pastor is for. That's what ministers are for. That's what Sunday school teachers are for. That's what deacons are for. Ask them some questions. 
In fact, if you go to most Christian bookstores, you can just go into the bookstore and you ask one of the people working there, say, I need help studying the Bible. I need help interpreting the Bible. Are there some resources here? Also, on our website, fbcnewberg.org, you can go under resources. We have online resources if you have the internet that you can click on in order to help guide you through Bible study. See, my fear is, ladies and gentlemen, is that, yes, we may be Christians, but my fear is, is that we are not living the abundant life that Christ has promised because we are not making the necessary effort in making the word of God the priority of our lives. Now, James here is telling these people some tough truths but in love. And I pray today you, you hear me saying these tough truths, but in love. Throughout the book of James, you look at verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers. My brothers was a term of endearment. It says the same thing in verse 16. My beloved brothers. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. In verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers. Chapter 2, verse 1, my brothers. James understood that part of being a pastor was telling tough truths in love. How many of you want to come to church week after week and not see God transform your life? I don't. And I don't want to be a person nor to pastor a, a, a church or myself if I don't believe that God can do something great through these people and through myself. If we receive the word of God with meekness and with purity, if we look intently into the word of God and investigate it and persevere in it, you see that? James says you also must persevere. Persevere. Persevere means to continue in it. So it's not just to learn something and forget it, but it's to continue to remind yourself of it, to review it, and to apply it. There should be a time after you hear a sermon on Sunday that you go home and that you just reflect on a sermon sometime throughout that week. There should be a time that you have set aside where you can apply what God is saying. What does true religion looks like? What does it look like? Look at this. Verse 26 if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Do you hear that? True religion looks like three things. The first thing it looks is it looks controlled. It looks controlled. James is saying to this congregation, and we see it, and we'll get into chapter 4, hey, in chapter 3 and in chapter 4, James is saying, listen, bridle your tongue. Be careful of what you say. Watch what comes out of your mouth. Watch what comes out of your mouth. James asked a question in chapter 3. He says, can fresh water and salt water come out of the same stream? If you all went out here to the water fountain and drunk our water and salt water came out, you all will be mighty upset with me. And James is painting that picture. He's saying that true religion, a person who has truly devoted themselves to God, is a person whose mouth shows it. Their self-control when they speak. They are bridling their tongue. 
right along the tongue. So to Jesus' words. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, says, Either make the tree good and its fruits good, or make the tree bad and its fruits bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brought of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, you will give an account for every idle word that comes out of your mouth. Either Jesus was having a bad day. <laughs> or he was speaking as the Father commanded him. I'm going to go with Jesus was speaking what the Father commanded him. Sincere religion causes us to be careful of what we say. Parents, please listen to me. Be careful about what you say around your children. Especially if you're bringing them to church week after week. You are doing more harm than good. Putting on religious clothes. And acting one way around one group of people. And another way behind closed doors. Not only is true sincere religion controlled. But sincere religion is compassionate. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. James says that true, sincere religion is compassionate. The early church was having a problem as many orphans, people without fathers and mothers were coming to the church and they had many widows. And James is telling his church that true religion, sincere devotion to God, takes care of people who do not have. They care about the least of these. They care about the least of these. When you go home, I want you to read Psalm 68 and 5. True religion is not self-centered. It's not self-focused. It's compassionate. Thank God for those who come out each week or when we have our sun team. And we go out on Saturdays and we come and we put on our yellow shirts and we go out in the community and we just encourage people and preach about Christ and, and pray for people. I'm so encouraged. But for us, we need to do better. You know, we're averaging 10 to 15 people to do that in a church that averages 250 people or 225 to 250 people on a Sunday morning. That's less, way less than 10%. We do a, a wonderful job, I believe, visiting the sick. We do a wonderful job checking up on each other. 
but we can always seek to improve in other areas. A church that closes its doors on Sunday and the doors remain closed and that does not affect the community is a church that does not deserve to come into a building week after week and worship God. We have to have compassion. People are broken. People are hurting. People think that life is about possessions and they get these possessions. They're suicidal when they find out that the possession can't help them. We have the key, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to have compassion. Young men in here who need godly men to take an interest in. Young women in here who need godly women to take an interest in them. Some seniors who need people to encourage them. Finally, James says that sincere religion is not only controlled, it's not only compassionate, but it's consecrated. To be consecrated means to be set apart. That the says these words, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Unstained. It's not easy. It's not. You know, it's not easy. Wife and I had a beautiful day yesterday celebrating our anniversary and just went throughout the city, turned off our phones for most of the day and just hung out. It's just beautiful, spending time with each other. And at one point in the day, we were just hanging out and she heard me gasp and just look up for a while. She kind of looked at me and said, what's, what's wrong? I just shook my head. And I shook my head because it's not easy. We stay in a world that has become overly sexual. It is impossible to go to the grocery store without seeing a half-naked woman. It is extremely difficult to read a magazine without having sex promoted. We turn on the television and the values of the world is being promoted to us day after day. It's not easy. Our music has become so pointless and filthy. You know, I turned on the secular station the other day. I wanted to see what these cats was rapping about. I love gospel hip-hop and, and, uh, and Christian music and uh, I don't believe that to listen to something that is not, per se, genre Christian is a sin. I don't believe that all music is, is sin if we listen to it. But I do believe that we need to listen to things that's going to encourage us to look more like Christ and not like Christ. I don't have a problem with a love song that's in the context of marriage. Okay? But my goodness, 
I'm sorry, I grew up in Chicago, all right? I grew up around, around friends that, uh, most of my friends were either in gangs or, or sold drugs, okay? So I'm not some person who, who don't, who's not aware of life, okay? I'm not just walking around in my Bible all day or some believing who don't see what's going on in life, but my goodness, every single song was pointless. Every single, cars, girl, how many girls I, and then I heard someone singing a song that was degrading women, a woman singing a song that's degrading women. But the sad thing about it is that many of us in the church that's following Christ, that's what we like most. And at some point, we have to ask ourselves the question, who is Christ to me? Who am I following? Why do we come? Why do we worship? Why do we take the time to put on clothes every Sunday and, and come into this building? I pray that it's not just, not just to be encouraged, but I pray that it's to learn and to apply God's word in order that we can see God work. We are the church. We are Christ's bride. We are the ones that he died for. We are the ones that he loved enough to give his life. We are the only hope for society. We have to be the change makers. We have to make up in our mind that we're not going to church ourselves to death and become so ritualistic and so formula based. So stuck on this has to happen this way and this has to happen this way and we have to make it look like this until we really stop and think and think why did this man die? Why did Christ die? Why did he give his life for me? Why did he give me salvation? Why did he allow me the opportunity to live when I don't deserve it? Why does he allow me to wake up every morning with new grace and mercy? Why is he keeping me in perfect peace and allowing me to live? Why am I breathing? I am breathing because he wants me. He wants to use me for something. Get God out of our box. Let him go. Let him have his way. Stop locking doors of your life and open them and let him come in. Let him sup with you. Let him teach you. Let him commune with you. Let him dance with you. Let him have you. This world has nothing to offer. There's nothing new under the sun.